Whereas Rehoboam wants power, palaces, many wives, much money, horses, an army. The Lord Jesus Christ had nowhere to lay his head. He has only one bride, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not many, but just one bride. And he died to save her. He doesn't acquire silver and gold in vast amounts. Welcome to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. You're listening to episode 120, and I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Reverend Mark Vanderhart, Associate Professor of Old Testament Studies, concludes his series on being Christ-like in conflict. He's going to reflect now upon one of the most devastating instances in the Old Testament, the split of the tribes of Israel. Another episode from the Old Testament in which we can reflect upon the leadership reactions uh, to conflict, we could turn to the, the story of how the ten tribes withdraw from uh, the Davidic house. Uh, David is raised up to be the king over uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. They covenant with him. And in the tradition of Israel, uh, since the king that Yahweh chooses is a covenantal king, he's under covenant uh, with the Lord, but he also covenants with the tribes so that uh, his own son, Solomon, is acknowledged by the tribes to be their king. But with Solomon, the, the son right after David, we already begin to see declension, uh, a downgrading. In what sense? Well, Deuteronomy 17 prescribed the Davidic king should not multiply wives. David, uh, Solomon would have 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's a matter of power. Uh, he had great wealth which Deuteronomy 17 says a covenantal king should not acquire vast amounts of silver and gold. Solomon, in his relationship with the Egyptians, uh, acquires horses, um, which was a matter of military power. In other words, Yahweh blesses Solomon with wisdom, but Solomon doesn't always use wisdom. He, If you want to have a powerful court, you have to pay for that. And so Solomon burdened the people of Israel with higher taxes. My uncle used to say, if you want to dance to music, you've got to pay the fiddler. And if you want to have a, an elaborate court that impresses the Queen of Sheba, you've got to pay for it. And so the tax burden on the tribes was, was heavy. Well, Solomon dies, and then the other tribes, Rehoboam is slated to become the new king after Solomon. And so the tribes come to meet with Rehoboam in order to covenant together. And um, the tribes say, you know, please relax the heavy burdens that your father uh, placed upon us. And Rehoboam, in an instance of exceeding foolishness, listens to the younger counselors who says, no, 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 no. Uh, the, The burden will be heavier. 
will be heavier. And ten of the tribes say, we have no part in the house with David, the house of David. So to your tents, Israel. And they secede. Unbelievable. That the Davidic kingdom, the Solomonic kingdom, which was uh, large and powerful and uh, uh, impressive, now faces schism. But schism that is exacerbated by the foolishness of uh, Rehoboam, which is made even worse when the Judeans, led by Rehoboam, seek to militarily force the Ten Tribes. You have civil war breaking out in Israel. Uh, Foolishness leads to violence. Violence leads to death, leads to separation. Uh, The reaction of Rehoboam to conflict uh, certainly is not wise at all, but it's only the compounding of foolishness that is initiated by his own lust for power and and lust for um, uh, the taxes and the the glittering that had been a father Solomon's. The foolishness here uh, is the kind of foolishness that we we see we see discussed in the book of Proverbs and how the wisdom and the foolishness that is reflected in the book of Proverbs is interwoven in the actions of of a king Rehoboam. Uh, once again, we see also how the declension in the human heart takes over in the decisions, uh, foolish decisions that Solomon, or Solomon's son Rehoboam exercise. It has been said that in life, some people are givers, other people are takers. And I suppose a balanced person gives when he needs to give, takes when he has a need for taking. But a king who is severed, cut off from God's covenant and his spirit, is very likely to be the ruler who will take and take even more. This is seen in the in the life and rule of Rehoboam. Now, since the rule of a Davidic king was to be governed by the Torah, by Deuteronomy, Rehoboam embodies not the spirit of the Christ, which would have been the spirit spelled out in the laws of the Torah, the Deuteronomy, but Rehoboam really speaks, articulates the desire of an an anti-Davidic ruler. Um, Give me, give me, give me more. Give me what I want. If you don't give it, I will take. Actually, Samuel earlier had warned Israel about leadership that is modeled not on the Torah, but it is leadership that is modeled on that of other nations. Uh, Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you want a king? You really want a king like other nations? Then remember this, he will take, he will take, he will take. That verb is used repeatedly there. He will take. He will take your sons. He will take your daughters. He will take your land. He will take your money. He will take your property. This is what a king does when he is not bounded by the rules of the Torah. So if our topic is, in general, how do you respond? Uh, What kind of leadership do you provide in times of conflict? Sometimes the conflict that arises in a nation or among a people 
is is made worse not by the people they can contribute their own sin and foolishness but sometimes it is contributed by the ruler bad decisions bad laws bad examples bad decisions bad edicts from rulers sometimes drive a people uh, to rebellion uh, it has been said what do you want do you want to be led by the shepherd's staff of david do you want to be led by the shepherd's staff of christ or do you want to be driven by the whips of saul and in this case the whips of rehoboam because his basic uh idea is if you're not going to give me what i want I, the king, will take it from you. The ten tribes withdraw. Benjamin probably does not withdraw because it was a smaller tribe and it lives in the shadow of its southern neighbor, uh, Judah. Judah, which was a large tribe and a powerful tribe. Even the city of Jerusalem, the capital city, is technically part of Benjamin's turf. But uh, Judah, the large tribe, acquires it. And that's why uh, Benjamin is the tribe that is willingly or unwillingly still loyal to the, or aligned with the house of David. In any case, this too is part of God's judgment, judgment upon the sinfulness of the Davidic house, Rehoboam's sin, Rehoboam's foolishness, uh, judgment upon the people themselves. Oppression and heavy-handedness on the part of Rehoboam results in the break in the community, schism, split. The ten tribes are lost to the Davidic house, and actually Yahweh sanctions this. When a prophet appears, tears up a garment, he gives ten pieces to Jeroboam. Jeroboam will be the leader of the ten tribes initially, who will lead them in the schism away from David's house. And still this was not the norm. This is an act of divine judgment. Think again in contrast now to our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ embodied the office of a king as envisioned by Yahweh. Solomon first sought wisdom, but then he slides into foolishness. When Solomon becomes king, we read in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon loved Yahweh. But by the time we get uh, to uh, 1 Kings 11, we read, And Solomon loved many foreign wives. The spirit of the law comes to perfect expression with Christ. Uh, Whereas Rehoboam wants power, palaces, many wives, much money, horses, an army, the Lord Jesus Christ had nowhere to lay his head. He has only one bride, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not many, but just one bride. And he died to save her. He doesn't acquire silver and gold in vast amounts. Uh, He lived, and so when the question comes at his trial, are you a king? His answer is, yes, I am a king. But not like you're thinking. My followers don't fight in an ordinary way. The kingdom of God is not advanced through military power. It's not advanced through swords. Jesus tells Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus had at his command legions of angels. And so the the kingdom that Jesus leads 
and in fact embodies, is much different than the kingdoms of this world. When Just think of this. On Pentecost morning, there are about 120 followers of the Lord. There's the disciples and others who have gathered together. By Pentecost evening, there are 3,120, according to Acts 2. About 3,000 convert. And uh, from there, the church begins to spread, not through the wisdom of this world, not through powerful armies, but it spreads through the preaching of a message of a simple, humble king who is, in fact, God the Son. He advances his cause through the cross, through the message of the cross, foolishness to the world, um, abhorrent to a Jew, and yet God, through the foolishness of the cross, advances his message. At the cross, we are forgiven. In the resurrection, we are given the hope of everlasting life. Uh, And that message keeps moving from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. This is how God advances his particular kingdom. In any case, in reflecting upon these matters of conflict, what, what would be the wisdom that the scriptures would hold before us that we learn from this. Just, you know, grin and bear it when there's opposition to the cause of Christ. Uh, Just contain your anger. Instead of being mad and angry, just, you know, stop it. Don't do that. The main thing is to be united to Christ and therefore to allow his spirit to control our hearts and our minds Um, It says in Psalm 34, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so the most basic lesson is this. Learn the fear of the Lord. Embrace the truth that his kingdom is coming and it doesn't depend upon us taking weapons in hand, physical weapons. Uh, the weapons that the church has is the word of God. It's the message of, the, of Jesus Christ, died, risen again, ruling at the right hand of God. It's the practice of love. We forgive our enemies. We bless and do not curse. It's, the, it's to practice the fruit of the Spirit. And therefore, that can only come in union with Christ, in praying for it, in seeking it, in practicing it, and in encouraging it amongst each other, that we live in submission to the the Christ, who himself was meek and mild, yet who now has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We entrust ourselves to his cause We live not according to some, but according to every commandment that he gave to us.
Many thanks to Reverend Vanderhart for speaking on such a timely topic, being Christ-like in conflict. You can read more about this from the pen of Reverend Vanderhart himself by visiting midamerica.edu slash journal and navigating to the 2016 issue of the Mid-America Journal of Theology, where you can find his alumni conference paper titled Being Christ-Like in Conflict, Perspectives from the Old Testament. We'll make sure we provide a link in the description as well. Beginning next week, we're going to take a look at sacraments. Dr. Cornelis Venema and Dr. Alan Strange kick us off by dialoguing with each other on the old question of baptism. What is it, and who should, or rather must, participate in it? Looking forward to it. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.